millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We live in a world of strong opinions. Some good, some bad, and some extreme. Sometimes those opinions become so extreme that individuals decide to take things into their own hands, to try and change the world around us, to reflect it for their own views. That is exactly what happened in Snowtown when someone decided certain individuals were no longer worthy of living. How's it going? My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. And we're coming up on Halloween real quick. Ooh. Who's excited for Is the spooky like season? it's like two weeks away-ish? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much. much. It's, pretty much. As we're recording, it's the 10th. So that leaves us with 21 days until, well, that's so that's three weeks, technically. Oh, we're that far away? Where are we? I, gu- I guess so. Right? No, we're starting on the 24th, aren't we? Well, but Halloween, I said. Halloween week. Well, of course, oh, we're starting a lot soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Halloween's three weeks away. Yeah. Halloween week is two weeks away. Yes. And it's so, an easier, easier amount of time to wait. Of course. <laughs> but if you don't know, we do a big whole thing for Halloween week where stuff's coming out every day. We're going to be doing mm-hmm. live streams. We'll be pumpkin carving. There's going to be a whole whack load of content coming your way specifically for Halloween week. Seven yeah. days. October is the month that we thrive. Of course it is. I mean, it's the month that most people thrive, if I'm being wholeheartedly honest here. You think? I think so. Um, I definitely know it's. The, it seems like it's the month that our patrons thrive, because everyone over there is like super excited for yeah. Halloween week, it seems Actually, like. yeah. Well, Halloween week is the bomb. It is. And everyone over there has been talking about Jacko so far. Mm-hmm. Gotten a lot of messages. Is Jacko coming back? Yes. And Jacko is coming back. So <gasps> don't, don't you fret. I know. Jacko's going to be we, here. We've gotten a lot of requests asking that he will be coming back. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and so speaking of our patrons, we'll give a quick shout out to those who joined us over there this week. Um, so if you're curious on how to join, we'll tell you here shortly. Um, but we have Candice Cauldron, Abigail Baker, Shannon Bruce. Thank you for telling us how to say your last name, Shannon. Um, Donnell. Danielle, Danielle, there we go. Oh, I like that name. Um, Alexia Venezuela, I think I said that name that right. That sounded really good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Donine Storm, Sarah Riggs, and Carly. They all joined us over on our Patreon to get some exclusive behind the scenes. Nice. Um, exclusive content. Like we have a whole ass episode that comes out the last day of the mm-hmm. month. So. And then we also do pre-shows um, probably 
probably like a, one, at least once a month, maybe twice a month. Yeah. Just a little, uh, a, us getting ready for the show. So we did a little pre-show this mm -hmm. time. Yeah. So it's like 10 minutes or so of us just chatting and chatting a little more in depth about our life, I guess. Eh? Yeah. What's going behind the, behind the pipes. Is that how you say that? Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. Sure. Yeah. That <laughs> works. Um, but we got a lot going behind the scenes. We also, uh, getting ready for Halloween, did, uh, some content stuff. We did some photos today. Yeah. Some cool things. It was awesome. Our faces were covered in paint. It was. So mine, I have a very sensitive face. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little raw, but little it was raw. worth it. Uh, so not only with the content, we got merch coming for Halloween. We just have a whole shit ton of awesome stuff coming for Halloween is basically what we're trying to say. Just expect it all. Yeah. So watch out for the cool content for the Halloween week coming up, the new merch coming out very soon. A lot coming down the pipe. Mm-hmm. So with all that being said, are we good? Can we go on right into this show? Can we go I right into the so. episode? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I just wanted to say a really quick happy Thanksgiving um, because this weekend in Canada was Thanksgiving long weekend. That's so right. So today is Monday. We're recording and we had the, well, I was going to say we had the day off, but like I, I'm on business. I didn't have the day off. <laughs> I had a stat holiday today. Um, But yeah, we did. You made it a delicious meal. Uh, last night and uh yeah yeah so. we got a little bit of pumpkin pie left over which we might indulge in after this episode yeah it's call, is it calling our name it's staring at us it's eh? in bed eat me <laughs> it's literally right beside my laptop right now because tiny home there's not much space so yeah yeah so anyway to all of our canadian listeners happy thanksgiving yeah and with that let's get into this let's do it so this is the snowtown murders aka bodies in a barrel um yeah this is a big one Lots of information. So buckle those seatbelts because here we go. Okay. All right. So starting on May 20th of 1999, local police came across multiple decomposing bodies stuffed into old plastic barrels. Now, while some of these bodies appeared as if they had been here for longer than others, they had no idea just how to really identify how long they had actually been there and how many there really were. So, yeah, kind of gruesome. That's brutal. Yeah. Uh, several barrels were discovered, each with multiple body parts being inside. Oh, my gosh. Uh, they were actually found in an old bank vault, an old, like, decommissioned kind of bank. Okay, that's even creepier. Yeah, and this bank vault was in Snowtown in South Australia. So. Oh, can I just say something really quick? This is our first Australia case, isn't it? I believe it is. Wow. We actually had someone, well, multiple people uh, recommend us do this case specifically. And someone recently was like, hey, you haven't done an Australian case. And we're like, we haven't. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's not because we're we're avoiding it. It's just, it's just how it worked out. Yeah, so exactly. We thought, you know what? It's time that we do this case. Okay. Okay. I just had to point that out there. Yeah. Uh, so... What started out as a tragic discovery emerged into a, like a seriously long lasting investigation that would open up so many horrific doors because this is something that went down in this town, well, in Australian history mm -hmm. and basically labeled this town something different forever. So Snowtown and the surrounding cities have been facing several missing persons cases for years before anything in this case would develop. So by the time they were about eight or nine documented missing person cases, the locals actually started getting frustrated. 
you know, with the authorities, not finding anything, not really making any headway. Well, that's a lot of like at that point, you got to get your shit together here. That's a lot of people. It's extremely significant. Yeah. So for years, individuals from the surrounding cities would go missing. Little was able to be dug up on any of them. None of the missing people were being found and no cases came close to perpetrators being identified. So like you say, rightfully so. Brutal. So this, I'm just thinking that there's a serial killer on the loose and they have just found his dumping grounds. Yeah, potentially. So with no leads to go off and the number of missing people accumulating every year, locals around Snowtown area began to make, take matters kind of into their own hands. Uh, Police in Southern Australia had been on the hunt for the perpetrator of these missing persons cases since 1992. But over the years, they had no evidence pointing them to any suspects and the case had gone dry. Now, originally, none of these missing people were linked to one another because they had all come from different cities around the area. However, local residents began getting suspicious of three newcomers to their town and they brought this up to to the authorities. Now, the three men were individuals by the name of John Justin Bunting, Mark Ray Haydon, or Hayden, I'm not sure exactly how you say it, um, and Robert Joe Wagner. Okay. And they were presented to the police as being kind of suspicious. So according to locals, they had noticed vehicles that were kind of like sticking out oddly on the side of the road in areas, and they had engaged in suspicious behavior that just didn't seem right for their small town. Now, it's not exactly clear what set them off to the locals, like what the suspicious behavior really was, Mm -hmm. but their kind of eerie presence was more or less what indicated that they might be up to something that was no good. Well, sometimes you just have those gut feelings too, right? That's true. And if multiple people are reporting it, eh, it might Mm -hmm. be something to go on. Yeah. You got to listen to those feelings too. Yeah. So now like Snowtown and the other surrounding cities were all small areas with very little population. Anybody who caused any sort of specific suspicion was easily noted by any groups of locals, which might have been what set these three men off uh, in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So. And I've li- I've honestly lived in some small towns, and that makes complete sense to me. Oh, 100%. Well, even Prince George is a little bit small. Yeah, it's not a big city by any means. Yeah. So on the day that these barrels were found, local investigators began looking into these three men as possible culprits. It was identified that the unused bank was rented out under the name of Mark Hayden, which of course is one of those three dudes. Yeah. Quickly linked them to the locations of the bodies being found and quickly turned the investigation on its heels. So over the next days, all three men were taken into custody and charged with murders of eight individuals. And the investigation would soon follow and uncover... (sighs) Much more than anyone would initially think. Oh, boy. Yeah. So let's backtrack a little bit now. Let's go back to where this case began. Okay. In November of 1991, John Bunting was living in Murray Ridge, South Australia, and he was living on Lowman Street, a quiet part of the suburb that didn't have much history of being in the news. In his basement, John had an old-fashioned spider wall. You know what a spider wall is? I have absolutely no idea. So you remember like all those TV shows, CSI and stuff, where it's like they're trying oh, to figure out the killer yeah. and they have a picture here and a picture there. Oh, yeah. I 100% like, know. The thread linking this guy to that guy. Yeah. That's kind of a spider wall. 
Okay. So in his spare room of his house, he had a chart created using paper notes, the string in the wall, the whole webs. He connected people to people and names of individuals. Um, Why? <laughs> he was connecting people who he believed would be connecting to crimes. Okay. Whether it was pedophilia or someone being homosexual, he believed these things to be crimes. Oh, okay. And he was laying it all out, what he thought, who would be involved with what, and this is how he was targeting them. Well, I mean, being a pedophile, yes. Yeah. But uh, not being um, gay, I yeah. don't agree with that. So he's deciding here. He is literally quite just deciding on his own. He's okay. saying, you know what? Um, pedophilia, homosexuality, those in his eyes are crimes. So he had this all laid out on his wall in his spare room. And at random, he would pick somebody from his board and insinuate that there was something wrong with them, that he needed to take care of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because he had this board, he put it together. He said, you know what, this guy, he, for whatever reason, he brings it up and says, he's got to go because I say so, because look, he's connected because my spider wall says so. Jeez. Yeah. That's like, he's like almost playing God or something. Quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert Rag Wagner in 1991 would meet John and John would open up to Robert about his hatred for certain parts of the population, something that he carried out through his life and he was just never able to quite get rid of. So John had grown up with this agonizing hatred for pedophiles and homosexuals. He had grown up exhibiting plastic characteristics that many unsettling children um, have, let's say that. Uh, being disruptive in school, bullying other kids, and ex extreme cases, even killing animals. He kind of exhibited some of these symptoms growing up, and he grew up with this hatred. But John lived a life more extreme than what other children had to go through. He claimed he had been beaten and sexually assaulted by his older brother. And oh, in wow. his teenage years, he blamed all of his rage on pedophiles and had decided, you know what, he's going to take care of it from, his, from there on. Mm-hmm. So it kind of shows where he comes from with this idea on pedophiles and homosexuality, not to say it's right and that you should be taking these matters into your own hands, but that's kind of where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. And we have heard stuff like that before too yeah. in other cases. So. Mm -hmm. um, so, and of course the other man involved in the suspect list is John's longtime friend, uh, Robert. So outside of the three, there was one other man that they used to hang around with quite frequently though. And he goes by the name of James Velasquez. I think I said that name right. Hopefully I did. James was even almost a stepson of John. John was the son of Elizabeth Harvey and the woman who was seeing, who John was seeing. So John would often talk with James about his hatred for pedophiles and homosexuals and the people who he truly believed were the scum of the earth. After hearing this and kind of building up the rapport with John, James admitted to having been sexually assaulted by his stepbrother at the age of 13. So something John could actually relate to quite mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah. It was from this point on that John became the ringleader of a team who would continually commit murders based on the idea that their victims were pedophiles. John would anonymously call people that he knew or felt he knew to be pedophiles and would threaten them, telling them that something bad was coming. Something was going to happen. So they better watch out, sort of say. Mm -hmm. 
He believed that he was on some sort of moral crusade, doing good for the world by taking out these people who acted in wrongful wrongful ways before attacking his victims. He and the other perpetrators would commit security fraud as well by stealing money and welfare paychecks. Hmm. So, yeah. (laughs) I was just going to say, I say this so often, but this is seriously some Dexter shit going on right here. A little bit. Uh, Kind of, yes. The pedophile, like going and finding pedophiles, not necessarily anyone else, but like they're finding people that they think are doing wrong, which is wrong, the pedophile thing, right? And mm-hmm. then going after them. So that's sort of Fair enough. I can definitely Dexter-ish. see where you're going with that. Yeah. I just compare everything to Des- Dexter. Well, I mean, apparently. Dexter's pretty awesome. So <laughs> any excuse to talk about the show or Dexter himself, let's go for it, right? <laughs> Uh, So in total, though, eventually the group ended up with about $95,000 in stolen money. Holy shit. So to me, part of this is like, I think they're making up a lot of excuses to, hey, let's go kill this guy to get more cash. Mm -hmm. That's They're getting real greedy. Yeah, that's a big thing for me. And there's a little bit more of that throughout to come as well that we talk about. So, okay. So the group's first victim was killed on August 31st in 1992. Uh, Trazies was only 22 when he was attacked and killed by John with a hammer. Holy shit. John invited him into his home for a social visit before viciously attacking Uh, him without warning. Brutal. He accused him of being a pedophile and his body was discovered in a town nearby, um, the town named Adelaide. Huh. That's okay. That's vicious. Yep, like hammer there, is there are a lot brutal. of ways to murder someone, I suppose, but that just seems horrific. Not that any of them aren't, but that's that's a brutal picture in my mind. Yeah. Ugh. Uh so as the first documented murder, John needed some assistance with hiding the body and cleaning up the act. So he reached out to a friend of his, Barry Lane, who helped him conceal the body. This unsolved case was broadcast across the country in hopes that someone would know something or Mm -hmm. be able to come forward. But unfortunately, nobody at the time had any leads to pursue. Years after committing the murder, John then buried the body after just only concealing it for now in a shallow grave on the 16th of August, 1994 in Lower Light, South Australia. Now, in 1997, Trey's case was actually the subject of two episodes on America's Most Wanted. Um, cases were often aired, like, repeatedly, you know, mm-hmm. like, in hopes to dig up some new information exactly. and leads. Yeah. yeah. So so that's kind of cool that it was aired like that. But unfortunately, again, nothing ever came of it. I mean, that must have, I just have to say, that must have been a good friend because I don't think many friends could call me and be like, I need help bearing a body and I would help them. Like, right. I just wouldn't. And Sorry. Just, that's that all right wow that's that's pretty impressive yeah you got a point wow um it was not long after this that their second victim ray davies who lived in a caravan was strangled to death at the age of only 26 on december of 1995 ray had been accused of sexually abusing the grandchildren of the woman whose property he was actually living on now to john this was more than enough to take a life in response to what he had done but it's uncon- it's not confirmed. Hmm. So, and like, he could just literally be thinking this and like the, the person is totally innocent. Correct. Or maybe if you have a hunch, like you just call the police and let them know. Yeah. But 
he's just like, no, I'm just oh. going to start killing people okay. and stealing their money because why not? Which again, I'm pretty sure he's just making a lot of this up, not saying that there's not facts to some of the stuff he's doing, but he's building up a lot of this stuff in his own head just for the reasons of A, enjoying the killing and B, taking the money. Mm-hmm. And he's justifying it in his mind. Yep. Yep. So after Ray, um, the group decided that a man named Michael Gardner in 1997 was next. Now, Michael was only 19 at the time and he was when he was murdered. He was an openly gay cross-dresser. And John believed that Michael was doing something inherently wrong. So he convinced his friend Robert Ragnar to strangle him to death. Wow. Yep. So after he was murdered, John had one of his friends, Frederick Brooks, call his friends and impersonate him. He was acting as Michael and demanded the belongings from Michael's wallet, saying that he needed it for identification and payment purposes. But of course, what we know, they wanted these items to gain access to his money Mm -hmm. uh, and poach money off him from his welfare payments. Hmm. Yeah. That's next level. Right. Like literally just murdering this person and also like taking their identity basically and stealing all their money. Like, mm-hmm. ugh. Just because of the way he dressed. Yeah. There's no reason whatsoever for that. Yeah. Now, Michael's body was one of the bodies found inside the six barrels at the bank vault. Oh, he was found inside the same barrel as many other victims. And one of Michael's feet had actually been removed from his body so that the lid of the drum could be closed. Wow. Wow. Okay, that is another visual and a half. Yeah, so uh, sleep with that one tonight. Yeah, thanks. Now, the murders like this went on and on. The next victim was Barry Lane, who was 42 when he was also killed for being homosexual. Now, interestingly enough, though, Barry was actually in a recent relationship with one of the three men, Robert, from 1985 to 1996. Okay, so like did these men know that one of them was was a homosexual? Yeah. But then they're still killing other people who are homosexual thinking that's wrong. Yep. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, that hurts my brain. I'm confused. Yep. Very confused. So the couple lived together in a small house on Bingham Road in Salisbury North, near where John was living at the time. Now, the relationship had begun when they were only 13, and it was a long-lasting part of Robert's life. Now, although Robert himself had been in the relationship with men, he agreed with John that homosexuals deserve to be punished. What? Yeah. Wow. Like how? I don't even know what to say to that. That doesn't make any sense. How fucking ass backwards is that? Yeah, that's literally, like we've already said, he is just making shit up in his brain to like serve him yeah that's exactly that's what he's doing fucked john often referred to barry as being a dirty man and even as a pedophile wow barry was tortured and strangled and his body was eventually wrapped in a carpet and disposed of in one of the barrels that would later be placed in the bank vaults hmm. okay my i'll just pick my jaw from the ground here <laughs> During the killings, though, John forced Barry to call his mother and explain to her that he would be moving to Queensland and that he never wanted anything to do with her for the rest of his life. Holy shit. I hate that. Right? 
that actually breaks my heart. Like how fucking you, oh, like the words. Oh no. The fucking stew of words that I want to spew out describing these motherfuckers. Like Ugh. that is so sad. Right? Yikes. Forcing that makes me him. want to cry. Forcing him as he's being tortured to call his mom and say, I don't want anything to do with you for the rest of my life. Like and that's then, almost worse than the torture. Damn near. Yeah. Yeah. To have to call your loved one and then make there you're like just extending your pain to them. Oh. And imagine the mother's reaction when finding out the truth years later on what happened. My gosh. I could actually ball my face off. This is making me too emotional. We got to move on. <sighs> you want to move on? Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. so sad. Okay. Uh, so Barry actually had an interesting role in John's murder spree though. According to some sources, John's only only associated himself with Barry to gain information about other pedophiles living in the area. Since he had previously been involved in another murder, Barry knew a little too much information for John to be comfortable with. Okay. So John got wind that he had apparently been talking and telling people about a murder. So John killed him. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So was it really about his sexuality or anything? Or was it just that he knew too much? Probably that he knew too much. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Yeah. So after his murder, John took control of Barry's vehicle and was able to claim his welfare payment. Again, the money. Mm -hmm. But he needed help with concealing Barry's murder as well. So he reached out to his friend, Thomas Trevelyan, to help cover up the case and the evidence. Now, Thomas would also eventually become a victim, unfortunately. And the case of Thomas is quite interesting because his death was originally ruled suicide. So he had assisted John in his most recent escapade, if you will. Now, he was diagnosed as schizophrenic and he had suffered from extreme paranoid hallucinations. Thomas's body was found hanging from a tree in Adelaide in October of 1997. He was forced to stand on a box with a noose fastened around his neck. Then John kicked the box out from underneath him, killing him nearly instantly, which is good that it was instant. That he wasn't suffering there, yeah. If a hanging is done correctly, it breaks the neck rather than strangles you slowly. So Mm -hmm. that is good. At the very least that he didn't suffer. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, yeah. Um, But Thomas was not like the rest of the group. Uh, He lived quite unusual like an unusual lifestyle and he was filled with fear and paranoia thomas was known to run outside of his house with a knife if he heard unfamiliar noises and he would also regularly travel extremely long distances on foot so when investigators originally found him they assumed that his mental illness had gotten the best of him and eventually resulted in his death Hmm. it wasn't until years later that thomas's murder was linked to this case 
You know, I almost wonder if these people are actually thinking ahead because like the deaths aren't all the same, right? And so if they're almost planning how they can get away with this, like they knew this person's history and so they're going to plan it as a hanging and then people won't be as suspicious. I definitely think they were planning ahead with a lot of these, yes. Yeah. So, Especially if he's got a, a spider wall in his spare room. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that already. So yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. So they're being like, I mean, I completely feel absolutely disgusting about saying this, but they're like being smart, I guess, and like thinking it through, which I hate. Yeah, they're, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd use the word smart, but well, they're, they're they're using their heads. They're using their noggin to like, get away with this ridiculous, awful shit that they're doing. Yeah. So the next victim was a man named Gavin Porter. Gavin briefly, briefly lived with the aforementioned James, um, which is the fourth guy in the whole, mm -hmm. the whole group. Uh, now, while they were on a methadone program, so recovering from okay. methamphetamines. Now, Gavin got into the group's bad side when John was accidentally pricked with a used syringe discarded by Gavin on a sofa one night. So, as a result, while he was working on his car one night in April of 1998, and under the influence of some extremely heavy drugs, he fell asleep in the back seat. And there, at the age of 31, he was strangled to death by both John and Robert. Hmm. So after Gavin... The next suspect, or sorry, the next victim would be Troy. Gosh, this is just not ending. Yeah. So <laughs> Troy Ude was a specific victim to John because he was the older half-brother of James. As we mentioned before, James had confided in John and told him about his older brother who sexually assaulted him as a child. Oh, yes. So Troy is that older brother. Holy John believed that he was one of these men who just had it coming to him. He believed that Troy was intellectually disabled. And while he was sleeping one night, he was hit with, it says planks, I'm assuming like a two by four or something, mm -hmm. over the head multiple times by the group and tortured before they finally killed him. Brutal. So these people are enjoying this. They are definitely enjoying this. Oh, yeah. Feelings, which is disturbing. 100%. Especially because there's torture involved, right? Mm -hmm. It's very disturbing. And before Troy took his final breath on August of 1998, John forced him to apologize to his brother. This was the first murder that James actually had a direct role in. Up until now, he had never really been present for the murders, although mm -hmm. he likely knew what was going on, but he was never really there. Okay. So this is his first one. The next victim is a man by the name of Frederick Brooks. Now, if you recognize this name, it's because John had him involved in a previous murder. So in September of 1998, Frederick was handcuffed, gagged, and tortured violently before he was murdered by John and Robert. Now, by this time, John seemed to have a better idea of how to cover up his murders. They recorded Frederick speaking various sentences and phrases and all this sort of stuff to help cover up his disappearance. In some way, they were able to make it seem as if he had disappeared and there was almost no reason for look, to look for him, basically. So they mm -hmm. used the recording audio to say this, and I'm not sure exactly what they did with it, mm -hmm. but they used it to their advantage. Hmm. Again, there's just thinking outside yep. the box, really. Yep. How to continue, 
how to get away with it and mm -hmm. how to just not be concerned, basically. Ugh. The next victim was Gary O'Dwyer, a 29-year-old man who was a welfare recipient after suffering brain damage in a severe car crash. John had no reason to believe Gary was either a pedophile or was homosexual. Instead, he targeted Gary because he believed his brain damage following the car accident was actually a weakness. Oh my gosh. Okay, I was wondering if it was just going to be for the welfare check, but that's brutal. That's brutal because this person has been through enough. That is worse than chasing for the welfare check. Yeah. Yeah. So after being out for drinks one night in October of 1998, the three men visited his home before torturing and killing him. Oh my gosh. Wow. Later on, on November of 20th of 1998, John would then seek out Frederick's sister, Elizabeth Hayden. Why? Jeez. She, right? She was the wife of Mark Hayden and Elizabeth's sister, uh, Jody Elliott, had a brief relationship with John in 1998. Elizabeth was reported missing by her brother, Garion, to the local police at 3 p.m. the following day. When Elizabeth disappeared, it sparked police interest and quickly raised local suspicion. This brought eyes to John since it was assumed that she had been targeted for refusing John's sexual advances while in a relationship with his friend. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but Elizabeth's disappearance was one of the main pieces of evidence to, that was used to tie John and the rest of the group to the various missing people. And her missing persons report... And the whole investigation is what originally led people to the bank vault to begin with. So finally, the last victim of John and the other two perpetrators was David Johnson. So David was the stepbrother of James. Sorry, big spider web of names and individuals connected here. I know it's hard to follow a little bit. But David was the stepbrother of James and was believed to be a homosexual by John. Although he wasn't. James had recently told David about a computer that was for sale in another area, South Australia. He wanted to take him on a drive to take a look. So on the night of May 9th, 1999, they hopped in the car and started driving to Snowtown by James's driving skills. He's the one taking the wheel. Sorry, that was a weird sentence. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> driving <laughs> His skills. driving skills. Um, James drove him is what I was trying to, trying to say. Um, and he drove him while the other three waited for his arrival. So shortly thereafter, he was grabbed when he arrived by the throat from Robert and then Mark handcuffed him. So we have John, Mark, and Robert who are waiting there. Those are the three. And then James is the one that drove. He's the fourth. Mm -hmm. So they forced him to read a script that John had already prepared as well as provide them with a pin to his bank account. Oh, of course. Yep. So his voice was recorded on computer equipment with a microphone and they kept it for whatever records they needed to help cover up or however, right? So Robert and James, then after the recording was done, drove to the bank to try and access his monies. However, they left behind John and Mark with David. Mm -hmm. So while they were at the bank, they were unsuccessful with drawing any funds. So they returned to find David already dead. They had strangled and beat him to death, chopping up his body in several pieces and disposing him into the barrels. And was that not the plan that he would have been dead when they came back? 
Yeah, not necessarily no, because they they, they probably wanted to join in on that. Well, they hadn't even got to access his bank yet. He could have falsified the information, right? Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, then they placed him in the barrels after chopping him up, and yeah, there is one thing, however, that sets David's um, tragic end apart from the others a little bit. Parts of his flesh were actually eaten by both John and Robert. Oh, I was not expecting that. Yeah. They both claim that they hadn't had enough fun killing him. So then they needed to consume him. Yeah. After dismembering his body, they fried and ate Man. parts of his flesh because, what? you know, why the fuck not? Jeez, this is escalating. Yeah. Which, um, well, David was the last victim of the group. Um, and it just goes to show that if they didn't have enough fun killing him and they just started trying cannibalism, it would have begun to escalate oh, much course. farther if he wasn't the last. Like I was going to even say, if this was not the last victim, they, yeah. they it would have just got much worse to how much, oh, I don't even want to say it, but how much they would be consuming of the bodies. and Oh, right. Like, should this not be a case I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> Damn near should be. I mean, you're the, you're the, uh, the cannibalistic podcaster I, I was like i have to take a break from these ones it's too much um so all these victims that we mentioned um and all the killings as well uh it went from 1992 to 1999 and all four of the men had gone unnoticed for the entire duration of the killing spree and it wasn't until the investigation into elizabeth's disappearance at the locals or sorry and the local suspicion that the investigation actually began to come up with anything and where it eventually, you know, took them to these barrels in the bank vault. Well, that is a long time span to get away with this horrific shit. It is. Uh, so in the bank vault, when they did find these barrels, all the victims were in well enough shape to be identified by body parts that were still available. Um, and anyone who was dug up as well was able to, to be identified. But it wasn't until March of 2001 that the fourth man, James, was connected to the crimes. Since he had no direct involvement in most of them, he had gone unnoticed for quite some time. On May 23rd, 2001, two more bodies were found in the backyard of a house in northern Adelaide. It wasn't just any house that they were found in, however. It was John's own backyard busted yeah you know it's never a smart move to just bury bodies in your backyard no i feel like they have i have said this numerous times they have thought some things through that is very much so not thinking things through yeah at all 100 percent. and by june 11th people uh, police were able to confirm eight of the identities of the murder victims uh by june 29th came another and then within a few weeks another so all these confirmed identities led up to the 10 total victims, the two buried in the backyard and the eight in the barrels. I'm honestly surprised there isn't more for the time span and how messed up these people are and how how there's like four of them that are like perpetrators. I'm honestly surprised it's only 10. Like I bet you there's more. Yeah. Um, and I do want to point out, though, there is no clear plot line in exactly what order these victims were identified in or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but we we do know what time each victim became a victim of john's which is is good at least so then after this the real trial began on july 4th of 2001 when john i should say their full names actually john bunting mark hayden and robert wagner 
just as a the final get the full names in there, mm-hmm. uh, were committed to stand trial on all 10 accounts of murder. All three of the men pled not guilty. For the next year, evidence was gathered from both sides. Over this time, some of the jury members were actually discharged after saying that they couldn't continue because the murders were so horrific, and rightfully so. That would be quite a trial to be on for a, ju- a jury. Person. Could you like? Could you imagine being on this trial for over a year, having to deal with this dismembered bodies, cannibalism, like just the horror, the torture? Yeah, I mean, if I was ever a jury, I would want a case like that. I'm not going to lie. Because it would be very interesting, <laughs> which I probably shouldn't say. Well, but there are a lot of cases, though, like it was just like a parking ticket or something that you'd just like be bored shitless sitting there, right? Fair enough. If you're going to serve on a jury, you'd rather be a part of something than like some asshole who just doesn't want to pay $5 for a yeah. fucking parking spot. Which probably don't even need juries, but. Yeah. So, no, I, I can't blame these jurors at all if they can't continue on the case. No, it would be that would it would be very rough. I could imagine it would play a lo- a big toll on your mental health. Hundred percent. Yeah, and and jurors that were actually coming back onto the trial or anything, they were being warned that this is this case is quote most unpleasant. That's a way to put it. That's that's definitely a way to describe mm-hmm. it. Uh, by September eighth, two thousand three, Robert and John were both found guilty on all ten charges. Of course, they also appealed their charges uh, uh, charges later in the month, but uh, they were refused a trial. Luckily, good. Uh, they were refused a non they refused a non parole sentence, meaning that they were very unlikely to ever spend time outside of jail, and it's likely that they'll spend the rest of their life behind bars. Which, thankfully, so yeah. It's also important to note uh, that it's that an alleged victim, an eleventh person, um, was involved with this trial. Prosecutors also believe that Suzanne Allen, the forty-seven-year-old uh, John's ex-girlfriend, was also murdered by the group. Okay, well, I still think that there's probably more. I was oh, probably worried, worried that you're going to say like someone, one of the. Um, the investigators or like a jury person like mur- or like committed suicide or something. That's oh, what I no. was worried you were no, about to thankfully. say. Yeah. Um, but involving this 11th uh, death, the jury could never, could not reach a verdict, unfortunately. So it's unknown if John actually p- played a part in her disappearance or not. So there just wasn't enough evidence then. Apparently. However, some of the, I'll talk about some of the evidence surrounding her a little bit here. Uh, her remains were found. Buried in John's backyard. Her body was dismembered and wrapped in 11 different plastic bags. Okay. And while she was deceased, John continued to collect her pension until he gained approximately $17,000 off of her. Well, I feel like right there he looks incredibly guilty. Right? Like Like I just feel like guilty. Like I don't even know if I'd have to hear anymore. I know. (laughs) Uh, His defense, uh, he claimed that she had died of a heart attack though. But he, and then he just decided to like chop up her body and like bury it in the backyard instead of just like calling someone and saying this person had a heart attack. Yep. <laughs> I know. I mean, How okay. absurd is that? But I guess potentially, potentially that could be potentially if he was just wanting to like collect the welfare check. Because if he did call the heart attack in, then he would not be able to go about getting the welfare money. Yeah. So, so I at, mean, at the very least, 
he desecrated human remains and committed fraud at the very least on that one. And he probably did murder her as well. But I guess I can kind of see a, a slim possibility where he didn't. I, I don't believe that he didn't at all. I'm play, I'm really playing the devil's advocate here. Like, you really are. Really am. <laughs> Um, so regardless, though, on her case, the charges and prosecution were dropped, apparently to lack of evidence pointing to any perpetrator for that one. Now, the third man involved, Mark, had his trial begin on August 2nd of 2004. His case in this role is a little bit different. Sorry, his role in this case is a little bit different. My dyslexia is, is showing, even though showed, I'm not dyslexic. It showed just a little. Yeah. yeah. Uh, since his wife was one of the victims, the jury had a very strong hatred towards him. He had claimed that he and his wife were trying to have a baby when she disappeared. And that after that, his entire world fell apart. That's when he began, began to be involved with the murders. And he felt like he just had nothing to live for anymore. So on December 19th, after deliberating for nine days, the jury failed to reach a conclusion. Really? Yeah. But eventually he was convicted on five accounts of assisting with murder and sentenced to 25 years. Hmm. It's not enough. Yeah. So in the case of James Velasquez, he pleaded guilty to four of the murders and was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences. Okay. Yeah. To this day, however, this is the longest trial in South Australian history due to the number of victims and the accumulating information over the amount of time and years it took took juries and courts uh, to sift through it all. Well, I just can only imagine the amount of evidence that they had, like even right? all the bodies and everything. Oh, right? identifying the bodies alone. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. And just like witnesses and people to talk to. Like it's never ending, I'm sure. Oh, and then of course you're exhuming the bodies from not only the bank vault from someone's backyard and they're not in a single grave they're in pieces uh, clearly yeah and mm -hmm. with all like i'm sure it was confusing listening to this case because of all the spider web of names there's yeah. this person there's that person all back and forth so trying to track down all these people get statements and i'm sure like we're talking years after they've been involved like a decade so trying to even track them down to start with would have been fun to say the least yeah, no, I, I think this would be like hell to investigate. 100%. So the details of this case, of course, horrified the public and it's caused a continuing effect on Snowtown. The murders garnered much unwanted attention for the entire community. And at this point, the town is best known for this murder case. Being such a small town with very little history on its own, locals actually originally uh, tried to change the name to something else. They oh, kind of brought the suggestion fresh up. almost. Yeah, to welcome visitors, draw attention, you know. Oh, that's kind of like, that's sad. Yeah, uh, some some people suggested Rosetown. It didn't quite stick though. I like that. Yeah, but so today uh, it's still Snowtown. Um, okay, that's like really sad. There's two things in this case. I'm too emotional. Apparently that's brutally sad. It is. This little town like trying to like, clean this smudge from this these fucking assholes yeah like these disgusting humans that just did not deserve to be there and oh that i don't know that's sad i i that that hurts my heart yeah well there is one little bit of uh of niceness that came out of this uh john's house uh had actually been taken ownership by the australian housing trust and it had been demolished okay and units were actually created in place for elderly people in the area oh 
Wow. And I really, really, really hope that there are some homosexual elderly people in that housing unit right now. Yeah. That'd be right. That would, that would be perfect. That would just be the ultimate fuck you to mm-hmm. that fucking piece of human trash. Yeah. They should have almost made it that like low income for um, like LGBTQ or something like yeah, that. Yeah. For homosexual people or something. And just like that, I feel like that would have been even better. Yeah. So, but the fact that it's still something of good is, is nice. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the case. That's the Snowtown murders or bodies in a barrel. Hmm. And like you said, yeah, it's, I mean, the fact that they used a spider web, that case is a spider web and a half. It is. It's back and forth. There's, there's too many people involved to make it simple, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, when you look at it as a linear, like, timeline it's pretty basic but as soon as you start involving all the names it gets real confusing real fast when a lot of them are connected and stuff too which is like adds another level yeah so 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 yeah with that we appreciate you guys being here of course we have all the information down below you can check out our patreon instagram facebook youtube you name it we got a website all of it's down below if you want to join us on that patreon you can get that all behind the exclusive scenes content coming up especially with a lot coming on halloween week Mm mm-hmm If not, and you just want to be here for regular episodes, we appreciate that too. And like I said, stick around for Halloween week because seven straight days of epic stuff coming coming your way. Basically two weeks time. Yeah. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being awesome. And of course, until next time. Stay wicked. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.